G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Perhaps it's a conversation you've never heard anything like this before. My suspicion is that we're taking things just a little deeper. We're going to be diving into the deep end. We're going to be exploring some things today perhaps none of us has ever really even thought about when it comes to the issue of money. Money is one of the most discussed topics in our daily life and we talk about it a lot here on 2020. Our understanding of money and our relationship with it can influence our quality of life. Well, as Christians, we're more acutely aware of some of the deeper aspects of how we relate to money because we start to appreciate that we can either love it, we can hate it, or we can fear it. We're challenged every day with spending, investments, negotiations, saving, budgeting, and giving. We also have a private way of dealing with money and we carefully guard our way. Well, a conversation today asking ourselves some deeper questions about our relationship with money and wonderful to welcome back special guest Dr. Nathaniel Costilla. He's a pastor, a strategist, a futurist and an emotional intelligence coach. He's the founding director of Apostolic Churches Alliance and the principal of the Australian School of Ministry. He leads Menorah Church in Perth. Nathaniel Costier, a special welcome along to 2020. Glad, uh, really glad to be here, Neil. Hey, Nathaniel, uh, we've got a little bit of a, a title for our conversation today. And I know when we were preparing this, we were saying... What shall we talk about if we're discussing our relationship with money? We came up with the idea that we could talk about a love affair with money. I wonder what your thoughts are. Is that too long a stretch? Is this closer to reality than we might think? What are your thoughts about a love affair with money? Well, we're entrenched in the money issue every single day. From the moment we wake up throughout the day, we are constantly thinking, we are working, we are trying to spend or not to spend, to invest, not to invest. We make decisions about money. Uh, we're trying to make money go a long way if possible. And then possibly until we go to bed at night, there's another thought, another discussion and with our loved one. Uh, during the day, business choices, uh, employees, employers, uh, customers, everything is entrenched in money. So naturally, we are bombarded and influenced and affected and we can't really escape it. Uh, now, is it a love affair or is it a necessity? Well, depends where you are on the spectrum. It can start as a need to have money for the bare necessities, but it can grow from there to become an obsession and uh, where money can become a gripping force on our lives. Yes, it, uh, if it does get to that love affair, which is extremely damaging, it can um, destroy us, it can destroy, destroy the loved ones around us, and it can have massive 
negative ripple effects in our lives. So it is at the heart of our lives, unfortunately, and um, managing this is, is vital. I like your description of how that love can become an obsession because a lot of Christian listeners will appreciate that scripture that says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so perhaps there is a shallow love, which might be an appreciation, even a respect uh, for the fact that we are in charge in a stewardship way of our finances. Uh, But then if we go outside of those boundaries that God sets for us and it becomes an obsession, it is potentially the root of all kinds of evil. So a good way to talk about the love of money. Uh, But we've also got this sort of hatred of money. Some people, they just are not money people. They say, I'm not wired that way. I hate dealing with money. I'm not the one who gets to pay the bills and, uh, and I get challenged with that and And it might be the reason why we've never accumulated any wealth and had a strategy ourselves because we haven't had an appreciation at all for it. What are your thoughts for this idea of loving it or hating it or fearing it? Well, um, at the heart even of the Christian life, as you mentioned, we have to deal with money. Because how you deal with money affects everything. It affects how you, you, you run your family, your children, your wife, your husband, your, you know, even your faith in God. Now, Jesus was very clear on this. He said, you can't serve two masters, Luke 16, 13. For either you will hate one and love the other, you will be devo- devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That's the NLT translation. It's interesting that it says you will you can either you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Unfortunately, money is a ruler, uh, and we are told to rule that, which is often very very difficult. It is a love hate relationship. You can't love money and love the kingdom. It's just they're they're like they're opposites, unfortunately. Um, and this is happening, Neil, not because money is so bad. It's because money is spiritual. Money is not physical. And uh, for many years we thought that money, or in the Western society we are taught that money is a um, material thing, but it's spiritual. And, you know, the old Jewish Bible, the first uh, books of the Bible, the Torah speaks about how the money is a spiritual aspect. And unless we understand that, we won't uh, really have a healthy understanding of how it can enslave us. So I can expand on that. We'll do that uh, because sometimes we think of money and I know that there'll be some listeners who think of cash in our hands. Uh, You know, I like the feel of the cash as it's, uh, you know, in between my fingertips. It's money. Others are so much into our modern digital society that we rarely touch cash anymore. It's digital and uh, we do uh, cash transfers. Uh, We don't even touch the money. It just moves through uh, the ether in a digital way. But you've brought to us a different dimension here, a spiritual dimension. And this thought that money is spiritual 
Let's talk about that some more for a moment because the spirituality of money is something we don't often think of. That's right. Um, Well, even as a tangible thing, money doesn't really exist. I mean, there is a plastic, used to be a form of paper, then uh, there's also metal coins, and now a lot of it is digital. Money is a spiritual currency as such because the value of money changes. You know, um, one decision is made, let's say, in Sydney today, one announcement by the government, and something that was worth $20 million becomes worth nothing. It just dissipates, disappears. Um, But also on the positive, money is made, uh, you know, you buy a product, you upsell it, somebody else buys it, thinks it's a bargain, they do something with it. I'll give you an example. You know, we... um, we bought a truck in our company. We bought a truck from the auctions. Now, the company who sold the truck was happy to sell it and to make money on it or whatever the value was on that, you know, to dispose of it. Now, there was for us was an element of risk because we couldn't see the truck. We bought it uh, just online. So we took that risk. So let's say we pay $10,000 for the truck. It's different values, but just to help us out, right? We bought the truck, we took the risk, and then we advertised the truck to sell because it didn't suit our purpose. We needed a high app and it wasn't suitable. It was too high for us, for our company. Somebody came to buy the car, the truck, to use it as a courier truck. Now, we let's say we sold it for $20,000. Let's say we bought it for ten. we sold it for $20,000. We made money on that. Now, the guy who bought the truck for us was extremely happy because now he can also operate as a truck courier and and uh, um, make money with that. So that money became a blessing to him as well. So everybody is making money, but there's no real money anywhere as such. Um, so you, did you see how it's all transferred? But the beauty of this is very godly. Why? Because the, the company who sold the truck to us made money. They were happy. They, they got money. The auction house made money. We made money. The gentleman who bought the truck from us uses it to deliver goods to people making money. The Korea company makes money. The people who receive the parcels or the pallets also, they receive a service. And God is blessing everybody you see, money is made out of almost nothing. So this this is how spiritual it, it is. It, it just grows, but it also falls. Now, if we think that we can hold on to anything in life, we are misled because everything goes devalues. The actual money devalues. So our attachment to money is, is dangerous. Because it's a spiritual attachment to something that is not real in real terms, but it's really in our spiritual understanding of it, in our spiritual connection. I hope this is not uh, too, too deep in the sense that it doesn't make sense. But let me tell you the blessing. The blessing of all of this is that God made this allowance for us for money so everybody prospers. Everybody is blessed by it. When the purpose of money is to bless another human being. 
So God uh, is blessing Nathaniel and he's blessing Neil. We are both his children. If I serve Neil, Neil pays me. I get rewarded for my service to Neil. But my service to humanity is the, is, is, is the key to this. And as I serve with the product and services that I provide, I am rewarded with this thing called money. But they're really, let's say, appreciation certificates or reward certificates. So the more I commit to serving God's creation, the more rewards I get, the more appreciation dockets I get. And then I can use these appreciation dockets to provide for my family. So let's not even talk about them being called money. Let's talk about them being, you know, uh, appreciation dockets or something. So and when we, so yeah. So when we're into say a Matthew chapter six, and we're thinking about the lilies of the field and the birds of the yeah. air, and God yeah. who is able to clothe the uh, the birds and the lilies uh, almost beyond our imagination, but He is the one who is actually doing that. So. Difficult sometimes getting our head around that because uh, if you go to the corner store, you still might need some cash in hand. But uh, to appreciate money and a spiritual dimension uh, and forming this emotional, let's come back to that word you mentioned a little earlier, an obsessive connection with money. Does that align, do you think, Nathaniel, with the biblical idea of idolatry, that there might be something that, uh, like an eclipse, <laughs> comes in between us and God? Absolutely. I mean, everything, I mean, we say it's my money. You know, nobody can touch my money. This is my hard-earned dollar. You know, I work for 40, 50 hours this week. You know, I choose what I do with this. And God has entrusted us that um, stewardship, that administration. We are responsible with everything that we do. But uh, you know, in Proverbs, there's a, there's a deep there's a deep wisdom that I'd like to read. Proverbs three, it says, "Trust in the Lord with all your heart." Verse five, do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do, and He will show you which path to take. This is beautiful. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Listen to this now, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part or first fruits of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your barrels will overflow with good wine. So God owns everything. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. You know, God said the world is mine and all it contains. We just got to understand that even though we make the money and we're emotionally attached to it, it comes from God. You'll say, Nathaniel, but I sweated for 50 hours last week. Yes, but your ability to get a job, your health, everything comes from God. Just as he dresses the lilies, he gives you the ability to work, to have the wisdom, to connect the dots and perform the work they do. Everything belongs to him. Everything you own comes from him. So the connection, the emotional connection should be to the giver, not to the gift, to the provider, not to the provision. Our connection is is like my kid being happy with the ice cream, 
but not being happy with me buying him the ice cream. It would hurt me for him to have an emotional connection with the ice cream and not an emotional connection with the father who buys him the $5 cone. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. We're talking about our love affair with money. Dr. Nathaniel Costilla is our guest. He leads the Menorah Church in Perth. Nathaniel, obviously there will be different perspectives that people will have about money and Perhaps we'll take some calls from listeners who might like to offer their own perspective as we go. But when we have an attitude to our money, uh, it could be a good attitude or it could be a bad attitude. And that's going to lead us either to manage it well or to mismanage uh, that money. So if we're talking relationship that needs to be managed and controlled, how do you like to approach that? Well, the first job God gave to Adam was to work the garden. He was going to have dominion over the garden and invest and work there. So we are to operate in what God has called us to do. We have a responsibility to multiply everything that comes to us. Um, So money stewardship is, in fact, a value that everyone should have. Um, We we know that in the Western world, and not only in the Western world, debts are skyrocketing and people are always, you know, overborrowed, overstretched. Um, I think even in Australia, most people spend more than what they earn. And we're always running behind, you know, uh, trying to remortgage, revalue our homes or redraw facilities. And there's good debt and bad debt. I mean, mortgages are understandable, but, you know, personal loans and um, uh, high interest uh, credit cards are a big no-no because we spend before we earn. We don't have that ability to delay gratification. Uh, We And, you know, before COVID, we pretty much spent whatever we wanted. Now that it's a bit tightened up and inflation has come in, we... We think differently, but we we have a responsibility to steward our money. God expects us to understand the money and to steward it well, to administer well. And uh, that is, in terms of priority, we are to prioritize his kingdom first. We are responsible for 100%, not just 10% like the tithe. We are responsible for every cent that comes in our bank account. We're taking Uh, calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from Bill. Uh, Bill, uh, well, well, we've just got to hold off on that call for a few moments. Uh, We'll come back to that call. You were about to add something to uh, your point there. What were you about to say, Nathaniel? Yeah, I was, uh, you know, people believe in, you know, that tithing is a good principle and it is biblical. And I think, you know, everyone should start at least there. You know, tithing uh, is a godly principle that has been in the Old Testament and it works. You know, the Jews, why are the Jews disproportionately more wealthy than the rest of the world? Is because they apply biblical principles. And biblical principles have built in them blessings and curses. 
So yes, if you honor God with the first fruit of everything that you earn, you will be blessed, whether you're a Christian or not. God will honor that because it's a godly principle that has been set in motion when he created the world. So when you are generous, you will receive uh, from God. God will bless you. He said, you are cursed if you don't, you are blessed if you do. So basically, you know, in Malachi, it, it clarifies this, and I can read that passage uh, unless we're taking the call now. Let's take the call now, and we'll come back and talk some more. But Joseph is in Cairns, North Queensland. Hi, Joseph. Welcome along. Hi. How are you, my friend? Good, Joseph. What are your thoughts? Actually, I'm I'm listening the bet and money in all this. What is uh, this? Whoever is a doctor or pastor, he was talk about something about the money is not exist. Why is the money is not exist? Why we have to work if there's not money exist? That's what I don't understand. Because we're working for about forty five, fifty hours, sweating our air as I say, guts to go make money, and on the end, that he says it doesn't exist because sometimes his money don't not value. They go up and down. Of course, I understand it, but that's why I'm just want to get my answer. Why is not uh, why is the money not exist? That's why I'm don't understand. Good on you, Joseph, because uh, I suspect there's a little bit of confusion too for. A lot of people, and I said early on, perhaps we've not been exposed to going a little deeper into the spirituality of money in earlier times. And uh, for listeners who might be just joining us, yes, the thought that there is cash money, there's digital money, and there's a spiritual dimension to the money. Uh, Nathaniel, your thoughts for Joseph? Yeah, so monetary policy is um, is, is a strange thing. You know, the government controls this monetary policy in every nation and the value of money goes up and down based on certain economic factors. Sometimes they can be controlled and sometimes they cannot be controlled. Um, That's why money physically, um, I mean, you have them physically, but in reality they are spiritual, they are non-tangible assets per se, even though they cash at hand. In that, the value of money, you cannot lock in. That's why I'm saying it is spiritual. You cannot lock in a value of money. Um, You know, GFC came around and, uh, you know, uh, shares and property that was worth uh, so much lost 30, 40, 50% overnight. Uh, Or, you know, depression comes in, bad news comes in. Uh, It just shows that even though you have let's say a million dollars saved up, its value could be as little as 500,000 because it has been devalued. So yes, you still have the physical money, but the value is not physical. The value is spiritual. So I hope that this makes sense now. So we're into a different dimension here and not a different one so far as it's completely detached because it is attached to the physical sense of having cash in your hand or the digital sense of having a number on your computer screen. I'm interested, though, because Joseph is indicating here his confusion about this. I wonder if we were talking about a scenario that if we're a Christian believer and we're working for a small business and things are getting tighter and people are not spending as much money in the lead-up to Christmas because everything's rising, 
and I'm the staff member that gets put off. And I'm feeling that tangible uh, bite that comes because I'm now no longer employed. So, Nathaniel, given a scenario like that, I'm on my knees before God and I'm pouring out my heart to him. I might even have an emotional reaction. I might be even angry about what has happened. How do I process this, knowing that God is my provider and that maybe looking for him to open another door that I might not be aware of, but because someone else has been working and being uh, a steward with their money that opportunities might open? How do you relate to that sort of practical, uh, practical scenario? I think at some stage in life, we will all go through a process where we won't have enough. The invitation of God is, he said, I mean, this is in regards to tithe, but it works in regards to everything. In uh, Malachi 3, verse 10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there will be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord of hosts. God allows tests in our lives so we can test him. He wants to prove himself to us. He allows us to go through deep valleys so he can prove that he is the provider to us. There has to come a time in our life when we trust in God, when we fully trust in God. You know, the thing is, there's two great abilities that we have to learn to master here on earth. The first one is the ability of letting go of what we can actually do, and the ability of allowing God. The ability of letting go and the ability of letting God. We, we, we are so much of what we can do and so little of who God is. So we look always for solutions within us. I need another job. I need more money. I need this. I need that. How can I make this? Jesus gave up himself to, he poured himself into emptiness to, to, to gain the whole world, to gain resurrection and life. So no matter how much we try to save our lives, we will lose it. I know people during COVID who went and bought farms to become self-sufficient and did all sorts of things to save their own lives and their back. And Jesus said, if you, if you want to save your life, you lose it. But if you lose your life for me, you will save it. In fact, that was the central message of Jesus six times in the Gospels. This is the most that Jesus preached. Life is not about me and my bank account. Life is not about me and my daily needs. Life is about Christ in me. Life is about others. If I serve Christ and I serve others... Christ will take care of me. It's a byproduct. My bank account will change as a product, as a ripple effect of his provision for me. And Nathaniel, I know listeners can hear a accent when you are speaking, and it's a Romanian accent. But there's right. something deeper too into the things that have shaped you, and that is a Jewish heritage. Give us some insights here into the way you're shaped and the way that you think about these things and how even a Jewish heritage might have shaped the way you think about money. 
okay, I'll, I'll give you some Jewish wisdom here, but you've got to take your uh, Western hat off for a while. It's, it's actually harder to unlearn than to learn new things. So bear with me. This might change your paradigm a little bit. So this is, if you want to tap into a Jewish mindset, I'll, I'll give you some pointers here. Number one, we know that everything all comes from God and belongs to God. You know, Psalm 89, 11 says, the heavens are yours, the earth is yours, everything in the world is yours, you created it all. So this is fundamental to the Jewish belief. It should be fundamental to the Christian belief, and I believe it is, but not in a practical sense every day. So we know that everything comes from God, all belongs to God. Now, having said that, there's an aspect which we understand probably on a deeper level, and that is God created every single person in the world. Every, every human being is God's creation. Every human being is God's child, whether they recognize it or not. So when I relate to anybody in the world, I have to relate to him as a brother or sister because God is our father. So it's not just as a client or a service provider or a patient or a rep or whatever you want to call the other person. He and she is a child of God and I must relate to that person as he or she is my brother and sister. So in, in the same context that if God created us all and God is our father, we are all brothers and sisters. That means I am responsible for what goes on in the world and how I treat others as well. Uh, I am responsible for the money and everything I receive from God. I am responsible for my well-being, for my spiritual being. I'm responsible to feed my spirit. I'm responsible for my soul, for my mind, my will and emotions. I am responsible for what I put in my mind. I'm responsible for how I manage my emotions. Are they a gauge or a guide in my life? They should gauge where I, I am. They shouldn't guide me. My emotions should report to me, not me to them. That means impulsive buying, impulsive rush decisions should not be part of my life because I can choose to have the mind of Christ. I can tap into the mind of Christ. He's willing to share his mind with me. Then my physical aspect is also governed by God because God is the creator. He knows what I should feed myself with. So that whole concept that I should exercise. So taking care of my spirit, my uh, soul and my body is absolutely vital in a Jewish mindset. Then, when it comes to money, number three, I am responsible to steward everything God gives me, including money. That means, first of all, that if I tithe, if I put 10% aside, because that is how the Old Testament Bible encourages us to do, that was before the law, um, it's actually very good to me because that means I work on 90% commission. There's no other business or employer in the world that lets me work on 90% commission. So to give 10% is nothing really. Um, it's, a, it's a baseline, and I know that it, it pours the blessings of God. So the blessing and the curse is in the command of God. It's already inbuilt. If I tithe my first fruits, 
then I know that I will be blessed. I'm not doing it because I'm blessed, but it's already there. Now, people who don't follow God, even non-Christians, even non-Jewish followers, Judaic Jews, they prosper because they, they use this law and it does work. You know, God will bless you. So um, most Jews will practice this 10%. They, they will give God, you know, they'll go to charity 10% of their income before they uh, spend anything else, not at the end of the month. The first thing at the beginning of the month, they, they do that. And it works. In the kingdom, it's different. In kingdom, we should give everything. So it's people, you know, whoever argues with tithe, and I'm not saying that tithe is, is the best thing in the world. It is biblical, but in the kingdom, we should give everything. So it's a lot more. That's but those wrong. people who don't tithe, it, it, it's, they will have arguments about tithing. So whoever questions this is the one, is those people who don't do it. Yes, those churches, some will have different practices, different ways to think about tithing. Uh, As you say, though, as an Old Testament principle, uh, the law of tithing still carries over in the sense of the blessing of God that comes to those who are giving of the first fruits. And uh, the New Testament understanding that all things are under God's ownership and we're actually obligated then to be more generous than the tithe. Oftentimes on this program, we'll have the thought that a tithe might be a starting point and uh, look for opportunities to be even more generous beyond that. Look, our talkback line is open, 1-800-316-316. You might have your own thought to offer, a comment, even a criticism. Uh, One caller called through, Nathaniel, and uh, it's an interesting question. I'll just try and make some sense of it. If a Christian isn't a citizen, what scriptures make them obligated to the country they're staying in? Now, uh, just to interpret that, uh, what I'm thinking here is that if someone is a migrant to Australia and we have our laws and uh, even the church might have its own policy on how you give um, obligations here, uh, what are your thoughts? Um. You create your own reality. It's as simple as that. If you want to find every positive about giving, you will find everything about giving. If you want to find things that you shouldn't give, then you you create your own reality. Um, So, you know, if you want to pay the taxes, you pay the taxes. And if you don't want to pay the taxes, you'll find every argument not to pay the taxes. (laughs) Uh, I imagine... I was preaching preaching in a church three, four weeks ago and uh, it was an African church, and um, one of the gentlemen came to me after the service, and he said to me, Nathaniel, I've learned something today. I said, what did you learn? He said, I'm going to go and pay my taxes. <laughs> we'll often make a reference, won't we, to Romans chapter 13, and uh, I'll say that's God's tax policy. Uh, go and deal with that. It's a little bit too digest, but there is a thought here And uh, relating back to this listener question about uh, being uh, not a citizen but an obligation to a nation, uh, you have a biblical tax policy in Romans 13. Uh, You have this obligation to God who is the transcendent God. And no matter what uh, nationality you might come from, you've got this 
appreciation of God and who he is and what his wisdom is around money and how then that might relate to the nation that you live in. Any thoughts here about, you know, God being first? Well, everything comes back to to when we are aligned with God, Neil, God will align everything else in our lives. The mother duck doesn't line up all its ducks and then goes on a lake and says, okay, only if you're lined up, then we go in. She goes on the lake and everybody, all the ducklings just line up before her, after her. When we align with God, everything in our life will get aligned, our finances too. It's like tithing. Tithing is not for God. God doesn't need our tithing. He doesn't need 10% of everything he has already. You know, It's like, why would he need 10%? Tithing is not for God. Tithing is for us. Because when we give the first fruit, that means in the back of our mind, the first thing that we need to do is to honor God. So we honor God first. He puts the kingdom first in terms of priorities in our lives and generosity. And out of that appreciation, we live our life. Out of the platform of gratitude, we live our life. Otherwise, we become egocentric and it's all about us. I so like tithing your, is not for God. It's I like for us. your illustration about the ducks. Uh, leads me to think of uh, other birds that fly in formation. And when That's they're right. flying in formation, they can fly so much further and there is protection in the formation. Uh, everything about it, the ease, ease of travelling with the flock uh, because they're travelling in formation. And there is a sense here, and I'll, I'll get your perspective uh, around being part of church life because we could be flying on our own and trying to get our money ideals together. But when we're flying in formation uh, with what is being led from the pulpit in our local church, there's something special about that because together we can achieve so much more than we could if we're just only one individual. That's right. That's another thing, uh, part of the Jewish roots, is the legacy. We build legacy with people. Everything is relational in life. The church is relational. It's fellowship. Everything is relational. You know, God says to Joshua, you and all these people get ready to cross into the promised land. It wasn't just you alone. There's nothing with you alone. It's you and all these people. I think we need to get beyond ourselves and just keep maybe right somewhere on the mirror. You and all the people that God has given you in your circle. It's never about you. If it's only about you, you will suffer. You will, it'll hurt you. Every time you look at your bank account, everything will hurt you. You know, to Joshua, God says, I'm giving you this land to give <laughs> to the people of Israel. So God is giving you money to give. <laughs> He's not giving you money to keep. That's think, inspirational. We're actually, yep. We are distributors of God's wealth. We are stewards of something we don't own. But we get to vote where the dollar goes. The pur purpose of wealth is distribution. The purpose of wealth is not to keep. The purpose of wealth is to distribute it with priorities of the kingdom in our mind. You know, it's, it's not about us. And we also need to think legacy, Neil. It's, it's bigger than us. We should, we should not spend our children's inheritance. We should build legacy for generations to come. We should teach our children. That's why the Jews never sell homes. They never sell property. Very rarely you'll see a Jewish house 
being sold because they 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 build wealth for generations to come they think across generations in the western mindset you know we buy those t-shirts spending my children's inheritance with a three hundred thousand dollar caravan and four-wheel drive around australia that's an absolute shame we we can't think that way you know we, we, should, we should build legacy. We should build for generations to come. We should take people on a journey which is far greater than us, a journey which I cannot accomplish on my own, a journey when I need you and I and the fabric of society to travel with, especially the community of believers. So when Jesus says, I'm building my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, it's not a matter of money in the physical sense because the money will follow the spirituality of uh, the people who are followers of Christ, who are pursuing a great commission to disciple those in every nation. Uh, Powerful concept there, and uh, I might have taken us off on a bit of a tangent, so I'll just come back to a question from a listener who says, what scriptures apply to Christians who want to work for no money? In other words, uh, they are volunteers. Uh, Nathaniel, uh, for volunteers, um, that in itself uh, takes the actual cash in hand out of the equation. But there's, in in some sense here, there's still a currency. And if you're serving the Lord, I imagine this is that spiritual currency we're talking about too for people who will be volunteering their time in the work of the kingdom or uh, in in whatever charity they might be uh, volunteering in. Well, most of the Christian world uh, most of the Christian work that is done out there is non-paid work. There's far more non-paid work than paid work that is done. People um, have a call on their life to do this. They 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 touched by God to serve others. They uh, look. We've done 17 years of mission. My wife and I. We would work for six months in Australia and travel for six months and bless other people. We, we flew on our own funds. We, we spent a lot of our money. A lot of the time, more than half of our income went into, into blessing other nations. It's an absolute joy and privilege for those people who understand the heart of God to serve others. I think this is amazing. This is beautiful. That's why Christianity is where it is today. That's why missions are where they are today. Because people put their lives on the altar every day to serve God's creation, other human beings. And let me tell you something. The father is absolutely delighted. You know, if you do me, let's say, if you give me a chocolate, I am happy. But if you give my son Isaac a chocolate, I am happier. When you honor God, God is happy. But when you serve God's children, other people, let me tell you something. God is happier. When you take care of God's creation, God is very, very pleased with you. It's an absolute honor and privilege to do that, especially to those who understand that. Serving other is, others is the most noble call that we have as human beings because this means we are taking care of God's own children and we are co-working with God to bless his children. I mean, we are working with the Father to, 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 to serve his children. This is, this is the greatest and noblest call of humanity. 
Nathaniel, time's running out and perhaps touching on something here and uh, it almost might become something of uh, insight into your marriage as well. If we're talking about money and the things that drive us emotionally here, uh, whether it's spending or investing, as we mentioned, uh, negotiating a deal, saving money, budgeting, uh, giving... Uh, Your thoughts here on the things that drive us emotionally and how that affects even things like our marriage. Oh, deeply affects every aspect of our life because we are emotional beings and, you know, spending, investing, all this negotiating, saving, budgeting. um, we, We don't invest enough time into educating ourselves into finances. We, we, in fact, we avoid doing that because then we become responsible. We would rather not know what to do and just deal with life as it comes. But then pressures come. Pressures come in the family life, children life. You know, there's more relationships break down due to money than affairs, than, you know, adultery. So it's, it's the biggest cause of uh, distress in the family not having enough money or somebody spending or somebody gambling or somebody drinking or addiction, creeping in. And even in Christian families, money is a massive, massive problem that separates people, that causes distress and pressure on the marriage. But we have all the, um, all the tools, all the wisdom. I mean, if we don't have it as Christians, who, who's, who are going to have it? I mean, we have, we have the Bible. We have the Spirit of God. We have the mind of Christ that we can tap into. We have the Jewish Bible. We have the Christian Bible. We have all the wisdom of the world. If we choose to apply the principles of that, we should be the best. We should be the best at administering and stewarding money better than the Jews, really. We have more than the Jews. We have the mind of Christ. So, yes, we as husbands, as wives, as family people... We should educate ourselves from a biblical perspective on how to deal with finances. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Nathaniel Costier has been our guest over this past hour. And uh, words of wisdom worth listening again. And I'll point listeners to listen to the 2020 podcast of this conversation once again. And there's no doubt someone in your family or in your friendship circle that you know really needs to hear something that takes you to a different dimension, a spiritual dimension around money and dealing with this issue of a love affair with money. Uh, Tremendous wisdom from Dr. Nathaniel Costia, who leads Menorah Church in Perth, strategist, futurist, emotional emotional intelligence coach. Uh, there's, a, a, there's a number of books, too, that Nathaniel has written. Uh, our first conversation some time back was on 19 COVID lessons the church cannot ignore. Uh, there's another book he's written called 40 Years and 40 Days, a practical discipleship book he wrote in 40 days, starting on his 40th birthday. And then there's another one called The Most Precious Gift, a book for those seeking a first encounter with God. How do you connect with Dr. Nathaniel Costia? The website nathanielcostia.com, N-A-T-A-N-A-E-L. Costia, C-O-S-T-E-A dot com. Uh, There's also the Menorah Church website, menorah.church. Nathaniel, great wisdom. Thanks so much for sharing it with listeners today on 2020. It was an absolute privilege, Neil, always. 
Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 